0: Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Report, where grown-up people read little kid books and then argue about them. Today on the podcast, we're talking about The Grey King by Susan Cooper. The Grey King, that's spelled G-R-E-Y because it's British. Mm. Carolyn, right off the bat, something we cannot ignore, this is a British... Writer, She moved to America to marry a professor at MIT, like every British girl's dream, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But the book does not take place in America, hardly references America, and uh, if at all... The main character
1: is a British boy who is spending his summer in Wales. Nothing about this is an American
0: book. No, at all. Except for its award-winning status. Right. It was considered the best contribution to children's literature in the year 1975 winning in 1976 it's like the oscars where you get the award the year after Mm -hmm. we all following great yeah and we're not going to be distinguishing what makes someone american and what makes someone doesn't yeah but it is uh, (laughs) what makes someone doesn't doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) and in all fairness
1: she was living in america at the time of uh this publishing of this novel so you know
0: it's considered an american novel is that true? I didn't fact check that. <laughs> um, it, she, she emigrated in 1963. There you go. To marry the MIT professor of her dreams for 20 years <laughs> before <laughs> that marriage dissolved. And she married the widower of Jessica Tandy. So, fun facts about Susan Cooper. She was the first woman editor of the Oxford newspaper, uh, which is cool. And then she went on to work in newspaper as a professional under Ian Fleming. Ooh. Yeah. So... What a life. <laughs> anyway, um, we should talk about this book specifically. Yes. So,
1: um, Carrie, this is another dead dog book. It is another we've dead had, dog book. We've had a few. Uh, and I, I don't know, listeners, if I've mentioned this on the podcast or maybe you haven't listened to previous episodes. This but is your I, first. Welcome. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. But I work with animals, uh, and I'm a big, big, big dog lover. And we keep having dead dog books it's very frustrating for me as a reader (laughs) yeah um not only does one dog die in this book like multiple dogs even evil dogs even like the spirit evil gray fox dogs that died in this book I,
0: i mourned for and i was very sorry to see them go um I want to uh, read about that, but I feel like we should get into the Yeah. – let's briefly go over a summary of the book, and then I want to jump exactly into the point that you're talking about. Great. So, uh, Carolyn, since you were discussing the book first, I feel like it's only fair that you treat us with your back of the book. Happily.
1: Okay. There is a Welsh legend about a harp of gold hidden within a certain hill that will be found by a boy and a white dog with silver eyes, a dog that can see the wind. Will Stanton knows nothing of this when he comes to Wales to recover from a severe illness. But when he meets the strange boy Bran and his white dog, memory wakes in Will, for Will is the last born of the Old Ones, immortals dedicated to saving the world from the forces of evil, the dark. It is his task to wake, with the Golden Harp, the six who must be roused from their long slumber in the Welsh hills to prepare for the last battle between the dark and the light. But first he must face his most terrifying opponent yet, the Grey King.
0: Very nice. Uh, I believe it's brawn, Braun, brawn. though. i want to call him Bran. He specifically says it's not like the oat. Yeah. Not like the It oat. is. It's Braun. You're right. Brawn. 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 Brand, I think it's like that, it's somewhere in the middle. Bran. 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 <laughs> we'll figure it out and he can write in, brands of the World, write in mm-hmm. and tell us how you pronounce your name. Better yet, leave us a voice recording. No, write in and tell us how you pronounce your name. <laughs> <laughs> write other things that sound like it. Uh, okay, great. So mine is slightly different. With the final battle between the light and the dark soon approaching, Will sets out on a quest to call for aid. Hidden within the Welsh hills is a magical harp that he must use to wake the sleepers. Six noble riders who have slept for centuries. But an illness has robbed Will of nearly all his knowledge of the Old Ones, and he is left only with a broken riddle to guide him in his task. As Will travels blindly through the hills, his journey will bring him face to face with the most powerful lord of the dark, the Grey King. The king holds the harp and sleepers within his land and there has yet to be a force strong enough to tear them from his grasp. Wow. Yeah. Are you intrigued to read this book based on the back cover? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know that I would have read this had we not decided to do this podcast. I uh, read the back of the book before I started reading this book and I didn't oh, know anything about
1: it. Interesting. Um, and as soon as they were like... Uh, Will is is the keeper of the light, and he must face the dark. I was like, "Ugh, you got to be kidding me!" <laughs> this is light versus dark in a child's fantasy novel. But I was pleasantly surprised.
0: I, like, feel like I can't even start to describe this book with a serious face because it's like, oh, this kid has hepatitis in presumably the 70s. It's a contemporary book, right? Mm-hmm. So this kid has hepatitis. And so in uh, just outside London, a suburb of London, and they decide to send him to extended family who live in Wales. Um but it turns out he's actually an immortal elder spirit who uh, is sent to save the world. Who from... is destined to go to Wales because that's where his quest is taking him. Right, and the hepatitis is just a means to an end. However, the hepatitis takes away his memory of being an <laughs> immortal. This is not funny. I feel like people probably really like these books, and I don't mean to mock them. It just felt... It just felt... Okay, here's why I didn't like it. I found this book, like really catering to this idea of like I'm a kid and I know and I have the ability to know stuff that my parents don't know that the stupid adults around me don't know and that I'm connected to this deeper uh, existence that has more impact on the world around me it was like a superhero novel which I don't really like superhero stories so so there's that Mm -hmm. Um, but it felt like a superhero story for like Kids, And not in the way that, like, Goonies does, you know, where they're sort of ordinary kids. I think by his extraordinary nature, I don't don't connect with them anymore. Just the way with superheroes, I'm like, I don't really connect with you, Superman, because I don't have those ability. I don't really connect with you, Batman, because I live in a one-bedroom apartment in New York. Like, I don't don't connect with these people because I I don't have any avenue by which to. I don't have anything in common with them. And so I felt that way about Will, and I sort of didn't really get attached to him like at all uh, convince me convince me
1: that's interesting so uh, I loved this book let's just start off with that um, uh, and I think that there are so many sympathetic characters in this in this book even outside of Will and I think that Will almost to me formed more of like a narrator role like he because he was sort of like omniscient And but he is the protagonist he it is the is, protagonist is that him. is true but th- I think that they give you enough characters to care about in this novel that I was okay with the fact that we are on this like hero's journey, and it is sort of like a very over the top, convoluted plot. But that's just that's just preference, I think. If yeah. you're if you're not into like the hero's journey stories, yeah. then Carrie, I don't know what to do for you. No, I like it's not <laughs> heroes. I'm
0: against. It's not heroes. It's superheroes. It's mm. people with this ability beyond what what I might be able to identify with. The other okay, I can't even. The other thing that bothers me. <laughs> Is this idea that one can have innate or natural abilities, that one doesn't have to exercise, that one doesn't have to keep up, that one doesn't have to, like, continually practice, but, like, just by centering himself and thinking about it, he can find the answers to these, like, obscure riddles, or he can, like, know what to do and put his two palms against a stone wall and that it all melt slash disappear slash dissolve, like... I don't like that. I, I don't want people to think that things are automatic or things that just like you have this natural ability. I hate natural ability. Like I understand that certain people genetically or biologically like happen to be stronger, bigger, longer legs, whatever. But it's, it's not without deliberate practice that one gets good in anything. The idea that you can just tap into something with little effort drives me bonkers. Yeah, I get it but it's just a preference thing?
1: I think a little bit, yeah. It's so funny because historically I have read a lot of the books that we've talked about here in a broad sense, and you have read them in a very detailed sense, and I feel like now we're opposite. Now oh, you're, yeah. you're the, your main problem that you've voiced so far is with sort of like this overarching, like, the theme of the book being the fact that the protagonist is like, Basically, a godlike character that has this like immortal wisdom uh, and instincts bordering on natural ability, bordering on like just being able to do anything in the entire world. Uh, whereas I, uh, I responded much more to like the, a little bit more of like the intricacies and the
0: um, the dog dying. <sighs> the dog dying. So the third thing that bothers me about it. <laughs> Is like there are, and I, I know I have a problem with this, so I know this is, I'm going to catch you off a matter of preference, but like the women do virtually nothing in this story. Like it's by a woman author, which I was like cool, um, but all the women serve to do is like be, be acted upon. They're either very stocky or they're cooking or um, they're leaving a baby and running away back to the past to be at King Arthur's table <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where they came from. So, uh, like, and we get into this argument right at the end that sort of, I literally wrote, ugh, in, um, in, in Welsh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, we have this, uh, this moment w- where we learn where Bran has come from, mm-hmm. and we learn that uh, his mother appeared out of the mountains and came down, and <laughs> in his mother's arms, and that his father Owen, his father Owen, like immediately falls in love with the with the woman, and the baby, and uh, he immediately falls in love, and after three days, has decided that he wants to marry her. At which point, she leaves a note that says, "His name is Bran. Thanks, Owen." <laughs> And leaves. It's like that episode of Sex and the City where she gets broken up with, with by a post-it. <laughs> but it gets her out of jail, so mm, I guess true. it worked out okay. But um, And then we find out that one of the main reasons she probably left, other than the fact that she, King Arthur would notice at some point that she was missing, right? is, uh, although we don't know how time works, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, time stands stills in other dimensions. Um, she left because the nearby, what's his name? Care Dog. Care Dog. Because Care Dog attempts to rape her because he sees her as a light, light woman that he could take if he wanted. Yes.
1: Isn't it fascinating? (sighs) All of Bron's problems can be sort of like brought back to this Care Dog character. Yeah. Like his mother ran off because of him. His father sort of never really recovered from it. And who knows like how that affected his childhood. And then the man kills his dog, and just like one by one, it's like all of these dominoes that he's been like putting up his whole life are just being constantly knocked down by this one character, who is by far, I think, the most interesting character of the book. This guy
0: Caradog. Ugh, I can't stand
1: him. Of course you can't. He's an ah, he's not a nice person. He's a a
0: mean guy. (laughs) (laughs) A mean Uh, mean guy. guy. What bothers me the most about him Is like, uh, okay, Uh, I guess, like, given what we know about um, power dynamics, like, you, a boss of somebody that's working on your farm, going into the house, seeing the woman... That is with your employee. Like we know from history, that you feel comfortable having sex with that woman. <laughs> like we understand that that is something throughout history, owners and bosses have felt comfortable doing. I mean, it, Scotland is where we have that first night tradition, where the king gets to sleep with every bride um, before the husband does. So this isn't this isn't surprising, I suppose, in that respect, but that at the very end when this all comes bubbling up to the surface after our sleepers have awoken and now they're awakers they're not sleepers i don't know and uh owen the father and care dog are fighting yet again about this woman gwen quote unquote um that care dog blames owen for driving her off and uh he says no uh, owen says no it was you you tried to hurt my gwen and Care Dog says, you're Gwen, any man's Gwen. <laughs> I just underlined it was yeah. like, ugh. Like, why couldn't the women in this story do anything else? Anything other than send their sons to Wales, um, tell this backstory to, um to Will about where the mother came from and birth uh, <laughs> Bran. Like, that's it. Um, well, fact check me later.
1: Well, from, uh, from what I understand is that previous novels in this series have had strong
0: women protagonists. Right. It, the, it seems implied that the sister is the focus of a prior book.
1: Right. So I think that, like, there's—I I don't mind the fact that there's sort of, like, one male-centered <laughs> book out there in this world. I Except mean, that's I'm the z- one that won the I award. I know. That is true. Rewarding that is true.
0: male-centric behavior.
1: <laughs> Newberry. <sighs> Quinevere. Bumper King Arthur's wife. Yeah,
0: was you, were you surprised by that? Yeah, 100%. I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, all I could tell, because I was the whole time, I was like, "Why are they so big on her name?" You know, someone that you met for three days mm. that um, came in and out, dropped off a baby. Like it, it's so surprising that they keep referring to her as Gwen. Yeah, you know, Brand's mom, as opposed to Brand's mother. Yeah. Oh, her name was Gwen. You know, like, they have it just, like, at the tip of—they the, have that more readily than they have the relationship to Bran, almost, which surprised me.
1: Yeah, and then they, they, kind of drop it, they kind of drop it in you. Yeah. They kind of drop it in at the very end and say, like, oh, by the way, it's been King Arthur's Guinevere. And, you know, she famously has an affair with Lancelot yeah. and is married to King Arthur. And you're like, who is Bran's father? I think it's, he's the one of the hooded guys. Who knows? I mean, yeah. she's a loose woman. What can we say? No, she has a, a woman with agency. A woman with agency who knows what she wants and yeah. is not afraid to have a child and leave it in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so he can grow up to fulfill his destiny, destiny of defeating darkness over light. Yeah. No. What? Defeating light, light <laughs> over darkness. Yeah. Whoops. Friday right and slip. <laughs> <laughs> I found it uh, really interesting later in the novel when Will is actually speaking with the Great King. So we've kind of heard about the Great King as this nebulous sort of like he's the weather. But also the mountain. And also the mountain, uh, which I'll come back to that in a second, uh, is he's he's finally sort of anthropomorphized. No, that's not the wrong right word. Like created a, himself. What would you what word would you use?
0: He's sort of uh, corporealized.
1: Corporealized. He's sort of become corporeal, and he becomes this like mist monster that actually has a voice and can speak to well. Um, and they start talking about Care Dog, and he's like, he must be one of your evil...
0: Agents. Agents. Yeah.
1: Uh, and the Great King says, that fool is none of mine. If the dark showed itself to him, he would melt with fear like butter in the sun. No, he's not of the dark, but he is very useful. A man so wrapped in his own ill will is a gift to the dark from the earth. It is so easy to give him very suitable ideas. What? I there there are levels of antagonists in this book. You have literally evil itself or darkness or whatever you want to call it and this sort of like nebulous kind of misty monster that is threatening to take over the entire world and then you have like his agents that you see down in uh when they're going through the riddles and they're in that weird like mountain chamber one of them is one of them there's like a good evil and like middleman and and (laughs) And, a merlin-esque figure yeah and then you have Caradog, and he's this other antagonist yeah, yeah. that is purely on like the human spectrum. Yeah. And for them to literally point out, like, no, 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 he is not an absolute evil. He's just, like, a confused man who has, like, this short temper and gets riled up too easily about things. I mean, like, you could easily make the argument that, yeah, his sheep is are his livelihood, and he's seeing them killed by these dogs that he has no love towards or he has no compassion for. And yeah, if someone's killing my livelihood, maybe I would be mad about it. And you sort of start to see that the world sort of works in these like grayer areas than the absolute evil and, and good that the book is in. And I loved it. I love that she layered both of those in there.
0: Yeah. I I also liked, I think the moment that I was the most open to Keradoc was at the end where you find out that he wanted to have raised the child, that he wanted to raise Bran, and Bran says to him, well, will you have shot my dog then? <laughs> he is so complex. <laughs> I I did not, I could not understand why that felt like a good option to him. No.
1: It's very strange. It
0: reminded me a little bit of uh, Harry Potter. Have you read all of them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Dumb question. It reminded me a little bit of Harry Potter when we find it at the end that um, Snape has been this agent for Lily because he loved Lily so much that he felt the need to protect Harry um, after Lily's death. I think we're a product of the same generation because I made the exact same
1: Snape connection yeah. <laughs> while reading yeah. I was like Caradog is the Snape of this book and he never fully becomes redeemed and I think it's interesting that he literally just saw like birds like no he didn't see the birds he saw like this giant tidal wave coming towards him with fish that then that then died like the tidal wave died before it could sweep him away and then the fish jumping from the ocean that like shined like silver in the sun and then mysteriously they started disappearing because he couldn't see the birds that were eating them and all of this happened and his response to that is like whoa how crazy and then to see bran and run to him so he can yet again yell at him over his dog. And then go to the van to get his to get gun. his gun to shoot the dog. The man is so single-minded and it's so funny to me. I don't know.
0: I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. I just love him as a character. He is determined. <laughs> he is. Oof, but Oof. what a weird determination. Yes. We'll be right back with some more after this break.
2: This episode of the Newberry Report is sponsored by Payfully. Renting your home or spare room can be a great way to earn some extra income, but actually getting paid can take months. That's where Payfully comes in. Payfully is a safe and secure way to get paid for your upcoming reservations within 24 hours of them being booked. Payfully deposits directly into your bank account with funds usually available the same day. It works with all the major platforms, Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, and others, and they've helped thousands of hosts expand their business or cover unexpected expenses. Visit payfully.co, that's P-A-Y-F-U-L-L-Y.co C-O, for $20 off your first request with code Newberry. That's Payfully.co promo code newberry n-e-w-b-e-r-y
0: hello listeners are you a business owner your next customer might be listening right now just like you are you can let them know who you are by sponsoring this show just email us at hello at citizenracecar.com that's h-e-l-l-o at citizenracecar.com Let's get back to our conversation about The Grey King. After sort of everything has gone down and, and um, Will has stroked the harp, presumably not played it per se in the same way. <laughs> It's magical
1: and even yeah. just a simple stroke is the music of the gods. Right? Well and
0: and a harp is just a lovely like set of strings, right? It's like so a
1: xylophone. You can just run your little mouth yeah.
0: over it and it's gonna sound good no matter what you're playing. Right. So after Will has run his little hands <laughs> across it and s- woken the sleepers, so now that they're wakers and and what have you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that got me. <laughs> uh he he has that moment, the um as they say in the uh, science world, the parasympathetic nervous system kicked in, mm-hmm. the adrenaline drained out of him, and Will still finger, Will stilled his fingers on the golden harp, and its delicate melody died, leaving only the whisper of the wind. He felt drained, as though all strength had gone out of him. For the first time, he remembered that he was not only an old one— but also a convalescent, still weak from the long illness that in the beginning had sent him to Wales. For a flicker of an instant too then, he remembered what John Rowlands had said about the coldness at the heart of the light, as he realized by what agency he must have become so suddenly and severely ill. But it was only for an instant. To an old one, such things were of no importance." (sighs) Which means that his old one-ness doesn't care about his will-bodiness mm-hmm. like about the fact that this will has a mother and has a um has brothers and sisters and it has and this aunt who's a, effectively a cousin of the mother but who is very close like a sister and also cares for him quite deeply and or and a body that can be broken right you know
1: there's no there's no real explanation at least in this part of the novel about like sort of What happens? Like, when do they transcend their humanly body? Because they are immortal. Mm -hmm. they never really talk about that. Like, you kind of know that Will can't die, but he can still be hurt. You know, he he breaks his arm or basically does something similar. Well,
0: Will can die, presumably. The body, Will, will die at some point. Mm. Because we don't get uh, this—we get the sense that he existed before this iteration of himself. And so— I wonder I wonder if the other books go into what, what does birth mean and what does death mean mm-hmm. for these old ones. Um, because something that stuck out to me a lot is when they first go to meet those hooded figure people, mm-hmm. they they keep mentioning this birthright. Oh, whoever has it will have access because of their birthright. And I, I didn't feel like that. I felt like that got tossed up, but never spiked. Mm. You know, like, what does a birthright mean to an immortal person? We don't get enough of the mythology for me, I guess, to fully understand how he's the youngest of the immortals who have always been around. Yeah,
1: going back to the text, that was one part that bothered me: the whole like journey into the mountain, and yeah. partially because the first test is putting placing his hands upon the wall, which then melts away because he is a chosen one, or because mm-hmm. he has that birthright, or whatever right. you want to call it. And I, and then he. Which has no, which he never has to prove yeah. at any point. And then they go and that wall melts away and they find themselves basically standing on like the, the cusp of the universe, which just for the poetry of that section, I loved. It was a beautiful, beautifully written section. Um, but then he mentions that uh, under that merciless starlight of infinity, any unrightful challenger would be brushed into nothingness as effortlessly as as effortlessly as a man might brush an ant from his sleeve and i guess i just like if you if i really started thinking about it, i was like well he already got in uh, like who is the who's who's the unrightful challenger that's managed to get in just by placing his hands on the wall and yet would be brushed off and then there's more challenges that yet again i was like who's getting through up to here it's not like oh these challengers like Bright brains and brawn and you have to have like all three in order to get through. It's yeah. just like, it's just this inherent, inheritance. like this. Of placing his hands on the wall. And then, at the end, they get to the riddle
0: portion, which should have come at the beginning. I know, it reminded me of, um, like, uh, you know, those heist movies where they have to like, first you have to do the palm scan and then you have to do the retina scan. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, did, would they expect like someone to to bring Will or one of the birthright individuals, like, at some kind of gunpoint or at, against their will, like, yeah. to this point. And these are each phases of... It reminded me a little bit of, like, the Get Smart opening, <laughs> where he, like, <laughs> goes through all the doors and they open in a variety of ways. Yeah, And then they walk into the planetarium where they're sort of, like, you know, the, the edge of the universe where it's yeah. like, yeah, are you doing an ID scan? Is that what's happening here? Are you reading him? Which seems like the...
1: The most complicated way yeah. to do it, and yet that's the first one, and then it ends with just like, do you remember these things? The from before answers you to were the born. riddles. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. The riddles, by the way. Okay, Carrie, I'm completely in opposition to you about the legitimacy of this book until it comes to the riddles. You and like I the riddles? No, and I hated that oh, part. Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So these riddles. So the riddles are. Hold, can I please just read like yes. one of the riddles? I'm sorry. Let me find read them. Oh man. Should I read the brand one or should I read another one of them?
0: Read whichever you think is the grossest.
1: So, for instance, the first riddle who. Oh. You can do it. Who are the three elders of the world? And there's this moment where. Bran doesn't know, and Will has to, like, be like, no, it's in your heart. Like, you can do it. Just remember. Just believe. You know, and there's this thing where it's just, like, he just inherently will know it because of his,
0: like, birthright again. Well, but also, like, Will, like, sometimes has this telepathy (laughs) where he can, like, read minds. And sometimes he can implant ideas, but right now he can't implant. He can only read or, or... He just tries to send out good vibes to Bronn so he can like figure it out. Yeah, so Bronn's freaking out
1: and he's like, oh God, I don't know it, I don't know it. And then his dog comes over and is like, nuzzle, nuzzle, you know it. Uh, And he's like, mm, the fur brushed his fingers lightly, very lightly, like the flick of Feathers. Feathers. (laughs) feathers. (laughs) He had it. (laughs) What? Bran stood up straight and cleared his throat. The three elders of the world, he said, are the owl of, oh my gosh, I'm not even, the owl of something, the eagle of something, and the blackbird of something, and they're all Welsh terms or, or Welsh places. And this is what Made me angry about the riddles. So all of the riddles are nothing that you can inherently. The third one maybe you can know, but the previous no. two, they're all none of them you could know. None of them for a child oh, reading sure. this, yeah. Unless maybe this is something like it's very heavily taught in like Welsh schools. Right. Um, no no child would ever know this. And yet they spent that whole, I call it the Moby Dick chapter. <laughs> they whole, they spent this Why whole... do you call it
0: the Moby Dick <laughs> chapter?
1: Do you know the chapter in Moby Dick that's just a catalog of whales? Have you ever read Moby Dick? No, I haven't. Okay. There's this awful chapter that's literally it just it's like it's a textbook and he just catalogs the whales there's no story in it and it lasts for like 20 pages there's this awful and most people who have to read Moby dick just skip it yeah uh, because it's awful there's no it's not interesting it completely takes away from the plot there's there's no use for it other than like the author just wanting to teach us about whales for some reason all of a sudden there's this book in the bible leviticus which is just how big things are (laughs) (laughs) exactly there's like no Forwarding of the plot. This is what I felt about the Welsh lesson when Braun and will are are like in the woods and he's trying to teach him how to pronounce Welsh words. And in some ways, like I liked it. it's 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 interesting, you know, the the character of Wales is definitely prominent in the story. And I think that it I didn't not enjoy it, but I didn't really see the point of it. And they go into so much detail being like, we want the reader to understand how. Welsh works and how you pronounce these words, and we want you to be really knowledgeable about it. And then they have these riddles where they don't go into any backstory. It's not like, and then he remembered the story he heard as a child, where this, 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 and this, and this, and this, now we're going to explain
0: it. They They didn't slumdog millionaires. They just
1: give you the answer, and you're like, oh, (laughs) they didn't slumdog millionaires. (laughs) And that's what bothered me about it. They never fully went into the riddles and and I was like was this something, is this from a previous book? Is this something I just don't get? I don't think that's the case.
0: And it's not something that you had to pronounce your V's like F's for, you know, (laughs) like none of the knowledge that we spent a page and a half during the what I call the Welsh montage like meant anything (laughs) in this moment. Um, Yeah, I found this book and I imagine it's just because of the genre. I found it very didactic and very exposition heavy. And It bothers me a little bit because it is the fourth book in the series. So theoretically, we shouldn't be about exposition at this point. Like, (laughs) we should be ahead of the game. And the whole point is to release these these sleepers Mm -hmm. to go do the fun part, (laughs) to go do the battle part. Like, it's just about waking up people. Yeah. Like, it's about setting an alarm clock, finding an alarm clock, setting it, and then making sure it goes off in the right place. And therefore, there was no question. It was like all you had to do was like bring a harp
1: to this place and play it. There's and then no they agency. woke up and then yeah. they they rode away. They you said know, thanks. The awakers were like, peace out. Thanks for waking us up, Will. Gotta go. Meet you in book five. That's all that happens in this book. Yeah. And dogs die. And dogs die. The prose itself, I think, was beautiful. Yeah. Um, there are so many wonderful examples of just yeah, like yeah. L- this like lyrical poetry that she sort of like – peppers in here and there. uh, Describing someone's voice as cold as winter fish or uh, saying that uh, the voice crawled like a slug over Will's skin. You know, all of these like tiny little details that are just thrown in there. And it just made it so interesting to read for me that like page to page, I just kind of wanted to keep hearing her speak in my ear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I typically hate the phrase that people use where they say, like, wow, New York was really a character in that film. Mm-hmm. Like, the place being a character. And you're like, yeah, I get it. Like, OK, yeah, yeah. Like, the location was important and yeah. served a, the plot, but is not a character. Yeah, uh, I had a thought midway through this book where I was like, wow, Wales really is a character. I'm so glad you wrap this <laughs> because up. Because literally the mountain and the weather <laughs> are the dark king, right. uh, the gray king. And I, I I, thought it was, like, this cute little, like, button that was put on it. And I thought it was really fun.
0: I'm really glad you brought this up because this was another thing I did not like about the book. No! like, every other word for me was rock or t, or sibilant. And, like... The whole book was like there are rocks everywhere. There's a rock that um, causes the Jeep, the Land Rover, to jump um, and punctures the tire at the top when um, Reese picks up Will. Was it the rock? Or was it the Great King? I mean, it's all the Great King, but <laughs> you keep blaming this rock. And then there are rocks everywhere, which is, I mean, I've only been to Ireland. I haven't been to Wales. I've been to London, but there aren't as many rocks in mm-hmm. London as there are in Ireland. And so I sort of imagined it looking not unlike Ireland, which there are a lot of rocks, yeah. a lot of rocks everywhere. Um, the walls between people's property were like built of rocks that they had pulled out of the land so that they could farm the land. Right. So I get it. There are rocks everywhere. But, like, half the book is, a, is our uh, synonyms for rocks. You know, like, we have the scree, which I had to look up, which is just another word for a hillside full of rocks. Yeah. <laughs> or the wearstone stone. That played a big part. Also a rock. Mm. There were just so, so many rocks. And then they're always drinking tea. Oh, would you like a cup? Oh, I just had a cup of tea. Oh, I just put the kettle on. Oh, I have to go home and put a kettle on for pa. T T T. And then <laughs> sibilant. S- sibilant. Everybody spoke with sibilant tones. Mm. I get it. I'm sorry you had such a hard time reading this but <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> so oh. let's move on to Illusion of Life, my yes. favorite section where we talk about um, similes, metaphors, phrases, anything that uh, the, anything that comes from the book that seems to be alluding to life- at large. Either life the way that we know it or life the way the book explores. Do you know where yours is? Do you want to? I do. Yeah. But I... I think you should start if you want to. So this, this fire has spread um, that uh, that John Rowland sees first. And so they're all going to the mountain to put out the fire. And, and uh and, Bron and Will have gone back to the house to get the fire brooms. <laughs> That's a thing, Carrie. Which is a which is a bunch of sticks you hit fire with. Yes. Um, and to call around to the towns, to around the town and get other people to help. And um, this is where Care Dog runs up and is complaining about John Rowland's dogs and is saying that the the dogs have attacked his sheep, has a, have attacked Care Dog's sheep. And he's like raving, sort of like a lunatic, while this fire is going on. so everyone's looking at him like, what is happening? And they say, and... Susan Cooper says, all that could be seen in him was the urge to hurt. And it was, as it always will be, the most dreadful sight in the world. I remember that. I remember that
1: quote directly. Yeah. It sticks with you afterwards, you know? Yeah. I think mine's kind of uh, kind of like a lesson mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, this might be a little on the nose here. But there's a moment where Will, it's at the, it's at the beginning of the book. He's only just met John Rollins. Um, but uh, he has had a couple interactions with him and he's out walking the property and he stumbles across him and John is uh, cutting down some hedges and he's sort of like mangling these hedges uh, and John says like oh I know what you're thinking here is this wonderful healthy hedge full of leaves and hawthorn berries reaching up to the heavens and here is this man hacking it down like a butcher uh, and Will's kind of like yeah that's what I'm thinking like how could you do that um, uh. And he says, maybe this is, this is kind of hitting it right on the nose, but he says, like life it is, Will. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you must seem to hurt something in order to do good for it, but not often a very big hurt, thank goodness. Ugh. Which is like foreshadowing a little bit. You yeah. know, it kind of it gives you an idea of like where the story is going, but like, man. But it talks about tough love and...
0: You know, sometimes you, you got to hurt something in order to... Set it free. Sometimes you gotta cut your hair so it grows longer. Yeah. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. we gotta rate the book. Always. I wrote this down ahead of time because I had real strong feelings. (laughs) I give this book Six Sibilant Snakes. (laughs) No, rocks. Fudge. Six Sibilant Rocks. Wow. That's a good thing, right? I just needed an S number. (laughs) Carolyn?
1: Six out of 100. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go ahead and give this book all of the stars in the universe. That's beautiful. As they swirl and wheel around us. (sighs) Except it's like
0: minus one because
1: it's not perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and also like those are Greek mythology that the most of the constellations were based on. And yeah, he named a lot of the constellations. There's so many. There's so much to unpack.
1: Mishmashes, man. You, I could talk about this book for days. But we covered
0: everything. There's nothing else. We covered it all. That's a Dead dog book. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Newberry Report. Join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Newberry Report. That's N-E-W-E-E-R-Y, report. Our show is produced and hosted by me, Carrie Kasten. My co-host is Carolyn Burns. It's co-produced and edited by David Hoffman. It's a production of Race Car Radio, www.racecarradio.com. You can listen to new episodes there or on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcasting apps. Join us for the next episode where we discuss the winner of 1977, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D.
2: Taylor. Racecar Radio is a division of Citizen Racecar. We tell stories.